70% of humans buy based on pain, but they buy based on their pain, right? right? So if your messaging or your differentiator is based on you and not them or their pain, then you've lost. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about differentiation, why buyers can't tell the difference between vendors, how to create elevator pitches that wow buyers, how to thrive in this age of self-isolation. To help us, we have with us Chala Dinkoy, CEO and founder of The Repositioning Expert, a division of Coach Tactics. She's an award-winning marketer that's worked at companies including Pepsi, Diageo, Frito-Lay, and others. She's also the author of two books and a regularly featured expert on ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox. Chala, thank you for taking the time and welcome to the show. Well, I want to just congratulate you on knowing how to pronounce both my name and Diageo. You have <laughs> no idea how many people get tripped up when they're introducing me on that one. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, well, it always pays, you know, to make sure we're, we're checking that before we hit record. Right? Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. So before we jump in, we like to ask just kind of a random question. And, and I'm curious, especially now since everybody's in this age of self-isolation, is there, you know, with all this extra time at home and not having to jump on planes as much, is there one thing you've been able to spend more time on that you weren't spending on time before, a passion, a hobby? What, you know, what is that? How did it come about? Well, I mean, I got to tell you, I do a lot of podcasts, but that was a good one. That's a good, a good um, opener. And I really like that question. So I used to, I am a, like a fitness fanatic. You know how you're a Harley fanatic? Well, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a fitness fanatic and I've been um, trying to find the six pack that I lost before COVID. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever had a six pack? I have not had a six pack. However, I am a fitness freak. The, ch the challenge with a six pack is it's, it's diet. A yeah. lot of it's diet. And for yeah. me, at 6'2", 248 pounds, uh, it's really hard for me to manage all the macros as much yes. as I travel to get, oh the, to get the definition. Yes. Oh, I'm macro crazy. So now, and the problem is, of course, the gyms are closed. Right. So I used to be a uh, like a, a snob, like a fitness snob. I would never, I'd rather not work out if I didn't have my gym. So now I discovered YouTube fitness. <laughs> and now like the convenience of it, I really don't like, you know, we were talking about how we're not going to go back to some of the things we used to do before. I really, I'm, I'm really into, into the fitness on YouTube. I'm, I'm sad to say, sorry to say, but yeah. Yeah. And I, it's funny. I used to be the same way. So even when I would travel, I had to make sure I was within, you know, one mile walking distance of a gym because I work out you know, five <laughs> days a week. And then when, when this hit, I had, we, I had just moved into a new house like a month earlier and all I had in the basement were resistance bands. So for the first month I was religiously working out twice a day with resistance bands because I figured, well, if I don't have the weights and then the, and the cardio stuff, this should help. And then I got tired of the resistance bands and just sat down and did the math and was like, you know what? To hell with this. So I put a full gym in the basement. So oh. now, I, I, now I never have to, <laughs> nice. have to leave. Yeah. Oh, and and I love it. I love the, the convenience of it. I get Isn't up. Isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Instead of getting up at 4.30 to go to the gym, I can get up at 5.30, just go downstairs. Yeah. I still get my hour and a half in. It's, it's amazing. I know. 
Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. All right, so let's start with topic of the day, differentiation. Now, this is a tough topic for many companies, mm -hmm. even before what's going on right now. But you know, one of the stats you mentioned in, in the, as we were prepping for this was that 86% of buyers mm -hmm. can't tell the difference between vendors. That's a mm -hmm. huge number. Mm -hmm. So why is that and, and how do you help people overcome it? And when you and by the way, you know what the reverse of that statistic is? How many businesses think they're differentiated? <laughs> Pretty much hundred <laughs> percent. So yeah, exactly. That's the sad part. You know, the first part is sad, the second part is sadder. So most businesses don't even know themselves what makes them different. Like when I talk to CEO groups and I do a pre-survey before I do do talk to them about differentiation and I ask them, what is your differentiator? And do you know what the number one thing they say is? No idea. Oh my God. They say experience. Ah, it's not people. Well, like, I hear that a lot too. Oh, well, yeah, oh, thank you. Yeah. That's probably a third one. So the first thing they say is experience. And uh, the second thing they say is customer service. <laughs> and then the third thing they say is their people, which is kind of like their customer service and that they're experienced. So, and they have no clue what buyers really find different because when I bought services at Pepsi, Frito-Lay, Pizza Hut for like 20 years, I always said no to these people because they were not different. And, you know, just because you've been doing it for a long time, just because you say you have good customer service, just because you say you have good people, everybody is saying the same thing. And in marketing, when you say the same thing as everybody else, it's equal to not being heard. Right. And so, so that's, how do you help the them? Problem. How do you help them come to that real? I mean, because in order for them to change it and address it, they have to understand that that what they're talking about isn't that different. And even that realization can be a pain in the butt to get them over the hump on. Oh yeah, they a lot of the time they're they're in denial, right? They're totally in <laughs> denial until you know they see my presentation where you know of all the stories of where people were, what they were experiencing, and typically what they're experiencing is one difficulty getting in to a meeting with a buyer. Well, first getting the attention of the buyer, two getting into the meeting with a buyer, and then three closing you know, in the meeting. So those are the, the symptoms with which they come to me and probably what they come to you with as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then we, we do a, we do, and I'm, I would love to know how you help them get to this realization because we have a differentiation exercise we do it. And it, every exercise is exactly, it's exactly the same. I ask them, all right, so what is it that differentiates you? And everybody inevitably, like I see people, culture, mm -hmm. values. I'm like, okay, um, do you think any other company out there might have people in it as well? Like, <laughs> <laughs> So here's the one statistic that changes their mind. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, I'm ready. Let's hear it. 70% <laughs> of humans buy based on pain but they buy based on their pain, right? right? So if your messaging or your differentiator is based on you, and not them or their pain, then you've lost. Yeah, you already. can't connect to them. There's no connection. Right. So that that's the part. That's the the aha for them is when they frame their differentiator in terms of themselves, their service, their experience, their people, their systems, whatever. It has nothing to do with the client and the client's pain. But what I teach companies is how to strategically figure out and own a niche around one facet of one expensive problem. Nice. Okay. So let's put it in context. And so let's talk about, you know, with everything that's going on right now, let's, uh, you know, for the first part is the mindset. Like, do they understand, do they have the right framing for, for their perspective or what they think of their differentiators? But what are some of the biggest mistakes you're seeing that are paralyzing, you know, small businesses, especially in the, in the current situation with, with uh, COVID? 
So the, f the first thing that I'm seeing is um, just frozen in fear, right? The par paralysis. And I always tell the rollerblading stories. Um, you know, I used to live on uh, in Toronto, what's called the beach. And there would be a huge, long path where you rollerblade. And I wasn't very good at stopping. So people would inadvertently be on my path instead of the actual <laughs> walkway. And they'd be in my path. And I wouldn't be, I'd be coming down barreling strong. And, you know, I'd be like, get out of the way, get out of the way. And they'd okay. be Literally, it's, it was like almost comical that they would be frozen. They, they could not react when they saw someone barreling down towards them on, you know, high speed. And I think, and, you know, we would collide and it wouldn't be pretty. And I've been yelled at a couple of times, but <laughs> so that, that's what's happening to a lot of businesses. And here's the other thing that I'm seeing is you've heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, one of the the um, coaches that I was listening to, I love this whole hierarchy of needs of what businesses are going to go through that she constructed. And I've been using this in my teaching. So the first thing right now, as soon as you know, we were talking about March, was that crisis management. What are we yep. going to do in the next 14 days to you know manage what's happening? And then the second step is the survival of how are we going to pay our bills? And then the third step is the recovery of how are we going to get back to what you were saying last year's numbers yep. or you know our goals and then it's going to be we're going to figure out the growth and then we're going to figure out the vision but i've had so many clients try to continue to sell to the growth and vision and they're not even addressing you know the first three steps depending on the industry and depending on the where the company is themselves like you yourself you're already at the fourth level which is the growth right because you've pivoted so quickly but there are other companies that are still in crisis management or stuck at survival you know like they're so you need to speak to their level you need to gauge what the need is and what the pain is, it all comes back to them. And then you have to pivot what you're doing today. And if it's a leadership coaching, it's not about growth and vision. Right. It's about survival and recovery. And so you need to reposition that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, all right, so let's say we get through, you know, eventually we will get through it. And I, and I don't mean to date myself, but I tell a lot of our clients, look, I remember, you know, I remember 9-11 and I remember 2008 <laughs> and it was scary and people, you know, people were impacted in positive and negative ways, right, around the globe. And so we'll get through this as well. So when they come out of this, when we get back to where at least everybody, I hate the phrase, the new normal, but everybody gets <laughs> to this, the, the, the new, you know, the new moving forward, everybody's at least on the same page and we're not freaking out as much. What do you expect the largest challenges to be for small businesses? Well, you know, it, it was a challenge before and it's going to be a challenge after, but you know, I Googled free education, coronavirus, that phrase, and I got like over 4 million hits. So the biggest challenge is going to be standing out amongst the millions of free and cheap offers in a reduced spend pool. Right. Absolutely. So differentiation becomes even more critical as, mm -hmm. as people move through this process. And so when we think about that, what's the, you know, if, if I'm a small business and I'm trying to stand out, I mean, looking at it from, you know, what is the pain that, that the prospects or clients have is, is one way to go about it. Are there other ways that, that the audience could approach this as well or other things that they should keep in mind? Well, I mean, let me give you a few examples of how to do this, right? I, and maybe that'll help. So in order to stand out, you have to be relevant, right? And in order to be relevant, you have to consider 
niching down to a specific target and then you have to consider what is their most costly pain today. And so, for example, we had a leadership coach and we, you know, and, and leadership coaches, like when I used to speak at the uh, International Coach Federation conferences and there would be like hundreds and hundreds of people and I'd ask them to stand up if they were a leadership coach and guess how many would stand up? <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> yeah, almost like half the audience would stand up, right? And so they, and, and that's the way they, they call themselves, that's the way they market themselves and sell themselves so nobody really could differentiate. And the ICF published median income annually, can you guess how much it is? No idea. 20 grand. What, for leadership coaches? For all coaches, all oh, international wow. ICF certified global median. Now, median is not average, right? Median right, is sure. the middle of two, yeah, two extremes, but still, it's very low. So that's why that's what I'm telling you is that's what the lack of differentiation causes: low income. And what we did with this leadership coach that I met was to see, super niche her into what we called a decision-making coach. Because if have you ever worked in a manufacturing plant or any with a manufacturing company? Yes, absolutely. So apparently it turned out upon our research that the number one leadership, and you probably know this, leadership problem was nobody can make decisions. Right. <laughs> right? Yep. And when you can't make a decision, what happens on a, a manufacturing line? It screeches to a halt. You start losing money. Right, exactly. So your productivity falls. So that's one example of how we niched her in a decision-making coach. And then we, we did the research. There was like something like $1.4 billion being lost every year by the industry as a whole wow. due to one decision, one wrong decision. So, you know, she had programs to teach how to make decisions and how to empower people to make decisions and so on. So that's one example. And um, another one is a language school. And this was a language school, not like the big giant Berlitzes of the world, but she was just like a tiny little language school. So we had to, and, and she had just lost a huge, um, contract and she was really really struggling so we needed to replace that income right away so what we did is we did the research and we found out that the number one target for her should have been mining companies and there's a whole bunch of stuff and we can talk about if you want what the research looks like but so it turned out that the mining companies and that the number one problem that this language school was going to solve for them was cultural language and the reason for that is a north american manager could say the wrong contextual cultural thing in the wrong way in an email or a, a voicemail or even a, a Zoom call. And all of a sudden production slows down in South America and they don't know why. And it's because he pissed off people right. or he said something culturally wrong. So that's what we super niche them into is not just teaching them the language, but teaching them cultural cues and cultural language. So nice. does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. I love it. And so when you, when people are out there and they're trying to, they're trying to differentiate or they're trying to get super niche and, and find those expensive pain problems to solve, what are like the top five mistakes you see people making in their messaging? Oh my goodness. I see, I see so many more, but the, the bigger ones, the biggest ones is one, there's no focused target. And I'm, I'm pretty, pretty, pretty insistent on my clients figuring out a target based only on two things, because there's only two ways that human beings self gather in large numbers. And one is it has to be an industry 
or it has to be an interest group. So an industry, obviously, it could be like an IT, healthcare, pharmaceutical, um, whatever the industry is, you know that they are self-gathering in large numbers, both online and offline. They're having you know, events. They have monthly meetings. They, now they've ported them to Zoom meetings. They have publications. They have LinkedIn groups. So they're doing the heavy lifting of you know, being a focus target that you can find at least a 70% concentration of that person. The second kind of target is it's an interest group. So this is, it could be a B2C. So for example, yoga, you know where to find those women. Right. Or uh, from a B2B, like my actual uh, focus target was diversity-based procurement conferences, which is where I learned how to do back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back, uh, elevator pitch fixes because they are constantly pitching to corporations. So that's the number one is the focus target is figure out your focus target. That's one mistake they're making. The second is they have no specialty. So that whole, you know, diamond, if you look at the problem that you solve, take one facet of the diamond and then that becomes your specialty. And you don't just cherry pick that out of a hat or throw spaghetti at the wall. There's a whole you know, scientific strategic way that I teach <laughs> how to do that, that I learned when I was launching products at Pepsi, Pizza, Frito-Lay. The third mistake they make is they don't have a pain-based message. Their message is around something either pleasure-based, value-based, whatever it is, but it's not directly talking about the pain or worse yet, it's not, it's talking about a symptom. It's not talking about the actual ca cause or, you know, the ultimate cause, cost of the pain. Another one is, I'm going fairly fast so you can stop me anytime. <laughs> oh, it's all good. It's all good. Okay, good. All right. So the, the fourth one is, oh, I used to hate this when I used to buy services, selfish selling. Oh, ah, you're going to like this yeah. one. I'm being good at it. <laughs> Not the selfish part, but the selling part. Yeah. So it's about, you know, it's, it's like having watched for 18 years, companies come in to try to sell to me and talk to use the hour that I gave them out of my busy time and talk about nothing but themselves. And like nothing, like I once almost gave birth at a vendor presentation that was three hours long. And Ooh. I was like nine months pregnant, no kidding. <laughs> and they didn't once mention my brand's name. I was, what? I was like, and they had their, and it was the largest corrugate company in Canada. And then it was the, uh, their entire like executive team was there because, you know, wow. I managed some pretty big brands and they were selling something pretty cool, but they didn't once mention my brand. I never forget that. And it's in a lot of my presentations. So then the last piece of the, the mistakes that I usually talk about is there's no visibility around the niche. So <laughs> not only do they not have the targeted niche, but they're not using it in their marketing to talk about how they solve a problem around that niche or how they are the go-to people in that niche or what solutions they've provided to others in the same pain in that niche. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. That's, I mean, that's a nice list of, of things to be aware of and things that, that I, I have seen repeatedly throughout uh -huh. my career, I bet especially you the selfish selling. Oh. Right? Well, and I think part of that, uh, part of that is, I think that's the way organizations train their salespeople. Yeah, like you come I in and so. you onboard and it's all like, Hey, drink the Kool-Aid. We're so cool. Look at all this cool stuff we do. Yeah. Us, 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 us. And then you can't figure out why they can't connect to another human being when you unleash them into the market. 
Unleash. I like that. <laughs> I mean, they just want to walk out and talk about us. They want to, and it's funny because it shows up even in email. I got an email. So I, mm. th this is partially how I prospect. So when I get a crappy email, prospecting email, that literally mm -hmm. starts with wee, 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 wee. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and doesn't, doesn't have, it doesn't have, shows absolutely no awareness of what I do or, or who I work with. I literally take that email, I forward it to the CEO of the company. And I just simply say, Hey, if you want help fixing this, I just let me know. Because this is <laughs> I love horrible. it. <laughs> pain, you see pain based. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's well, why it works. Yeah. And the pain right there is costing you money because I oh, now yeah. now I've I've attached an impression to that brand. Yeah. That regardless of even if maybe my account, my prospect account gets passed to somebody else and they come at me in the right way, I've already then established a, an emotional reaction to that brand because of the impression their initial outreach has made on me. Yeah, I, I did a whole training that's called um, sales emails that stink. <laughs> and how to fix it. it yeah because it's like yeah there's so many of them and there's so oh, many yeah. different ways they stink i don't even yeah oh yeah we kept we keep a we keep a database of like crappy examples so oh yeah can, so that we can do some and i'm one of the top ones and we're awful we're awful bit here but i'm gonna just keep going with this one of the worst <laughs> ones i've seen was the individual it didn't come to me it came to one of my coworkers, one of my partners and it came to them and it said something it referenced something about them having gone to purdue so it was like Boilermaker fan or something, something a little, I thought a little kitschy in the subject line. But anyway, it got him to open it. And then when he started to read it, he realized that it was like a complete bait and switch because I think the second line said, well, I'm not a Purdue fan. I like Nebraska. And, and it was just like, if, when I asked him, I seen Rick, how does that make you feel? And he's like, I feel like I just got lied to. And I'm like, that is, well, that is a crappy ass email. If that is, yeah. if that's the way you oh feel about God. that. Oh my God. Yeah. It was very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So, let's talk elevator pitches. Uh -huh. how, do you, how do you help companies take all of this, keep all of this in mind, right? It needs to be pain-based, mm -hmm. needs to be expensive pain-based, ideally. It needs mm -hmm. to be differentiated. Mm -hmm. how, how do you suggest companies and individuals view and create these? Actually, first question is, how long should they be? I've heard a lot of different... Oh, God. You know, I, I love this quote. I, I read it somewhere else and I did a post and it went viral. The shorter the way you describe yourself, the more money you make. Ah, I like it. I like Isn't it. Isn't we'll, it great? Yeah. Yeah. We'll typically say this, the shorter the question, the more information you get. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, because if you, if you talk too much, you put blinders on them. Yeah. I mean, the, you're the uh, classic example. Like um, I was pitched to you by my agents and yep. apparently they're having a, a huge success. And I don't know if this was true for you, but it's because they're just saying she's an elevator pitch coach, period. Yeah. Well, so what was interesting, I'll tell you, because uh, I get a lot, I, I mean, I, I get a lot of, of mm -hmm. <laughs> people awesome. who want to be on the show, which is great. Uh, but it's also kind of a pain in the butt because much like prospecting emails um, yeah. are horrible. Sometimes a lot of these pitches are, are bad as well. Yeah. And so what really struck me about yours was it was very focused, but the, but the elevator pitch was supported by differentiation. Those two things really speak to me. I know we'll speak to the audience. And then, of course, I'll be honest, a lot of times when I look at some pitch that comes in from a, a company that wants somebody on the podcast, I might read the first two lines, maybe, mm -hmm. um, and then I'm making up my mind. But I did actually read the entire, and it wasn't overly long, but I did read mm -hmm. the entire email and look at the one pager um, that was sent it was very well done. Did you write that for your, for the company? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say they copy pasted, but that's my job, right? Yeah, no, that's perfect. That's perfect. So how, Thank all right. You. So the shorter, the better. So how yeah. do you help companies? Can you give us an example of what a 
good like compare yeah. and contrast and then i'll let you then i'll let you lose some on, on mine <laughs> don't be nervous it's not gonna hurt. <laughs> it won't hurt all right so here's the formula so you may want to write this down it's who you help plus the pain the expensive pain that you were talking about that you solve and how you help so for example mine when I'm in now, <laughs> I'm in Zoom meetings. So this is an interesting departure from like where I used to go and network with thousands of people, like I guess, like the same way that you used to. And when you're on a Zoom call, I find that people, while they're stuck on the screen, I think they can space out way easier than sure. if like they're standing in front of you looking at your, you know, baby blues right there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, Zoom meetings are so boring that I don't know if you heard about this, but <laughs> they actually have a goat, a llama, like there's a, a company that uh, yeah, can insert it into your meeting. Yeah, yeah, that you can, yeah, you can rent one. It's called uh, Sweet Farms. I think it's in California. It's like a animal um, sanctuary, a pet sanctuary. And uh, you can rent anywhere. It's up to anywhere until 750 bucks, like anywhere from 35 to 750 that you can get a llama to attend your meeting. So I, I just thought that was just so funny. And it's, they call it goat to meeting. Yep. Like, <laughs> anyway, so let me get back to the, <laughs> the, the elevator pitches. So here's an example. So this is how my, what my elevator pitches. Did you know that three out of four business owners never get asked for a card or a meeting after they introduce themselves to a prospect? Well, no. what I do is I fix what you're saying so that every hello turns into a prospect. So ah. that's how quick. So I don't know. Was that 30 seconds? I don't even think it was that. I think right. that was that was nice. Very okay. nice. Okay. So I'll Very give you nice. another I'll give you a few other ones. All right. So that it'll get you more comfortable. Okay. So did you know that 65% of general contractors are losing millions of dollars of government contracts because they can't find diverse unionized painters? Well, that's what we do. We have an army of them. So that's another client. Okay. that we did. And it's, it's really true. Like they're really, if you know anything about GCs, like they're tearing their hair out. Okay. So the next one is we're an ad agency who does strategy and design. Like how many times have you seen that? Uh, like, yeah. Honestly, eh? yeah. And then we uh, switched it to, we help get leads online for food service manufacturers 10 times faster than your sales staff. Wow. So that was a good one. Yeah. I mean, it's all about the pain. Like you can see, it's all about the who, the pain. Yep. We throw in a stat to um, give size and importance and scope to the pain if we can. And then uh, we go from there. Here's another one. We're a, we're a translation company who works with governments and agencies in all industries. This is literally what this woman was saying. And we changed it to, do you know when marketing agencies need fast translation of other languages like Punjabi or Cantonese, well, we translated it in a week rather than a month like the industry standard. Wow. Okay. So they became the, the, their um, one-liner became the fastest translators of other languages. Nice. And so they went crazy with that one. Here's another one. We're a pre-employment screening company and we do background and criminal checks went too, and she was competing with so many others, right? Sure, there's, there's a lot nothing of differentiated. So then this uh, became, did you know that two out of three candidates are lost due to the long lead time it takes to check the backgrounds? Well, thanks to our quick track process, we're 30% faster. And that's it. Nice. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. You ready? Uh, we'll try. We'll try. Okay. So, so no, no, no pressure. So here's normally like if somebody asks me what I do. Okay. So 
We help B2B CROs and CMOs address challenges related to the revenue funnel, including increasing number of reps achieving quota, how they, uh, this overall deal size, and uh, sometimes I'll throw in increased forecast accuracy, often driving clients up 30 to 40% in each of those categories. Okay. So I love that you have all the pain. And I love that you have the who. Now, the thing about um, what is it called? Uh, acronyms. Right. Now, B2B is very fairly common, but the CROs, you know, I don't know. If you're talking to your, to your target, it's fine. Right. And you should never really be doing your pitch to anybody other than your target. Yeah, so right. I'm going to let that one go. But I think <laughs> I can. Do I have your permission to polish? Yeah, please. Okay, please, great. All, all right. Means. So. So you named a couple of pain points. What I would love is for you to, so you you named the quota, you named deal size, and you named something about the forecast. Forecast accuracy, yep. Forecast accuracy, okay. And so can you, if you could, if you had the research, if you knew, what is the number one most costly of those three? that you help solve. So it would be something is. along the lines of less than, on average, less than 40% of reps in a sales team achieve quota oh. uh, consistently. I love it. And we help address that problem. Okay. That's great. I, right there, you had me, you had me right there. Because that <laughs> clarified it so much for me because the other, the other way, it was too many different too many problems. Too many things. Okay. Yeah. All too right. many problems. But when you say to me, 40% of reps only, well, only four, is it only 40% of reps it's, achieve it's it? Actually less than 40%. Less than. Okay. So then 60, can we say 60% of reps never achieve their quota? I wouldn't use, I, so my therapist says no absolute. So be careful with the word never, but. Okay. But so you, 60% but, of reps yeah, rarely. No, rarely hit quota. Rarely hit quota. Okay, I love it. So to me, that's a bigger number and scarier, and it's pain based. Yep. And so that's what we fix. I love it. All and right, is sure. there any unique way that you fix it? Like, is there anything unique yeah, to your so, methodology? So I would say we provide we provide, uh, and I could shorten it up, but off the off uh -huh. the top of my head, uh, we provide a communication framework to ensure your reps are uncovering what's valuable, important, and painful for your prospects and clients. Okay. Yeah. If you could shorten that, but I like it. So you could even uh, like brand it like something like the, uh, and brand it with the, the, the name of the pain. So it would be, uh, or the let's brand it with the results. So it would be sh um, the pain finder communicator or, you know, right. um, whatever the, the, cause the, the main thing you're uncovering or, or you, are you clarifying so what's well, the main I, thing yeah, that so that's I, doing? I'd go, so I'd say the communication framework uh, allows your reps to uncover what your prospects find valuable and allows them to connect what you can do to solve that to their vision of value. I, I can still polish that up. but Yeah, so it's something around what the, the prospect's problem is, right? Because yep. what the value is, what their problem is. So you could have some sort of, because it's kind of like, you know, how the, the uh, Staples easy button is. Right. You know that there's no such, you know, like nobody comes to your house <laughs> as soon as you press that, right? right. So, but but it's, it's a brand. So that's what I would love for you to like brand that process and call it something that's relevant to uncovering. So the process, prospect pain drill or prospect pain finder or prospect uh, value finder, yep. something okay. around that, you know, so then your, um, your pitch becomes, did you know that only 60% 
or 60% of reps rarely hit quota, while through our value prospect finder or prospect value finder process, we're able to increase that by half within a month or? Yeah, the value selling framework, which yeah. is what it's called. So the value selling framework oh. allows your reps to, uh, allows you to increase the number of reps hitting quota by 30% within 90 days. That's great. Okay, I like that. 30% within 90 days. Okay. Nice. Okay. So, so you tighten it up. See that? <laughs> yeah, how that works? I like it. I like it. All right. Awesome. Perfect. All right. So tell us more about how you came to found the repositioning expert. Oh, that's not a pretty story. I had a fight at work. <laughs> I had a fight at work. Like, I mean, did you ever work in big corporate? I know you had your own gig for a long time. Yeah, well, I, I, so I've worked in, in startups. I've worked in large global organizations. And the reason I came out and started doing my own thing was because I make a shitty employee. Because ah. I, don't, I don't, I don't play politics, and so, ah. uh, so now I get to do. I don't have to worry about politics. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so that's what happened. I mean, I was a corporate girl, man. My like, my parents were corporate. I was corporate, and I had a fight at work with a woman who was on and off her medication, I think. Uh, and so it lasted two years. It was a, a you know badly managed uh, situation, and my boss was younger than me, and he ignored the situation because he often didn't know. He didn't know what to do. So I, I pray to that woman every single day because now I make four times what I used to make. <laughs> I work half the day because most of the time I'm in the gym, yep. you know, and I write my own ticket, whatever I want to do. However, you know, I talk to people like you and there was so much dead wood in some of the corporations I worked at. And, and like this woman who I honestly, I think HR is created to deal with uh, mental health really right. in corporations. But so, yeah, that's, that's the story. <laughs> nice. Okay. I love it. Hey, and it resonates with me. Like I said, I, I got into too many political situations. Actually, I didn't get into political situations. Political situations found me and I just didn't play. And then the next um, thing I know, I'm in a corner and somebody's going, hey. And I'm like, yeah, I was, I'm sorry. I was focused on what I was supposed to do, which is providing value for the company. I don't give a crap about your ego. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> so, you don't and, you know, say that. Yeah, well, I did you don't a couple say times. That. And yeah, so I, like I said, I'm much better off, uh, much better off where I am. It sounds like you are as well. So now yeah. let's talk about the books. Yeah, the books. Tell us, tell us about the books and what inspired each of them. So, I mean, um, to be perfectly honest, the first one, the general marketing, how to gently attract loads of new customers, the one that your listeners are going to get if they if they want to download it for free, is all about the work, right? It's all about the niching. It's all about the, the um, specializing. It's all about the messaging and the the marketing piece of it. The other two, the how to win friends the way Apple wins customers and how to make anyone like you in seven seconds or less came about because I decided I wanted to do TV. And I got on to like within a year and a half, I was on 19 uh, TV, um, like, you know, morning breakfast when nobody watches, but old <laughs> housewives and <laughs> retired people and uh, mat leave ladies. So yeah, I mean, I, I got on those, of course, you know, it's all about visibility that we repurpose from there. It's not about the um, people who are watching at that time, but those books came about as, as a part of the book tour, but they all hinge on the same you know, how to connect to people, how to communicate to people. And it's all about them, 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 them. Right. Absolutely. I love it. It's such a, it's, it seems so simple, but so many people struggle with that subtle shift in perception. Why? Uh, Why? Because yeah. they like themselves too much. I think. Oh, people I love talking about themselves. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. You would know because you know, when people are on podcasts, they're like, you know, 
Oh, well, and, and I have to, in, in some cases, it's funny when I, when they have a, a media like a podcast and I really want them to talk about their expertise, I want them to bring it. I still sometimes have to like dig. I still have to, I have to lead them a little bit. Whereas if you get into a sales situation, all people want to do is talk about themselves. <laughs> and, and so it's very, it's very interesting to me because like, you know, I'll deal with, you know, I deal with, you know, CROs or CMOs. And every time we, we have a conversation, the conversation always starts almost, I, I don't, again, no absolutes, but almost always the same way. Our team is extremely unique. Oh, it is? Okay, well, tell me, <laughs> tell me more about it. Well, you know, we don't, have, we don't have enough reps hitting, we don't have enough reps hitting quota and our forecast accuracy is driving our financial team nuts. They can't predict anything for the business. I'm like, really? I've never heard that before, <laughs> right? But it's like- I know, kills <laughs> so me. And you have to keep a straight face. Oh yeah, well, and sometimes, depending on my relationship with the individual, sometimes I keep a straight face and sometimes I just go, can I just call BS right now? Because oh, like, that's God. not- but that's, But that's just my like- there's there I know myself well enough to know there are certain companies that I can do business with and I can help them. And there are certain companies that I'm not a good fit for. And yeah. I, I, that's why I tell, you know, a lot of my clients, look, I'm not going to do a discovery call with you. And they're like, well, why not? And I'm like, first we have to do an assessment call and we have to determine if it makes sense for us to even do business together because oh, I, love that. I don't, I don't want to waste anybody's time. And I, yeah. thank you to divorces and a lot of therapy. I am very <laughs> self-aware. I heard you mention that, that with the comedian. I laughed. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's part of, part of my therapeutic uh, healing process. All right. Yeah, so You talk about your therapist a lot. I do. She's amazing. I've had the same oh, wow. one for 16 years now. And my uh, God, send her number. Yeah. She's, she's absolutely amazing. Get her on the show. I actually, you know what? That is not a damn bad idea. I should have yeah. her on the show and give talk her about it business, to, business yeah, context. Yeah. Yeah. Give her permission to share whatever story she feels she needs to, because <laughs> it's not going to affect me. All right. So let's change the direction <laughs> here a little bit. Um, we ask all of our guests two standard questions at the end of each interview. Yeah. As a business owner, that makes you a prospect for a lot of people out there. And when they don't have a, they don't have a referral in, they don't have a trusted, you know, hey, Charlie, you should talk to this person. They don't, you don't have somebody telling you that. What works for you for somebody to actually capture your attention and earn the right to some time on your calendar? Oh, God, speak to my pain and how you've helped solve it for others. I mean, when I used to have these big agencies come in and they would do, like I was telling you, all these presentations about how many offices they have and how many people work for them and how many projects they've done for people who have 10 times my budget, like I don't care. Right. Stop talking about yourself and stop talking about clients that have nothing to do with me and my pain. Like I'm the, I'm, you know, at the time I have a tiny budget. I have a tiny brand. What are you going to do? You know, talk about the pain that this brand has. Talk about, talk about me. So that, I mean, that's, yeah. Show them, you know, yep. yep. And it's amazing how many people don't, they just come in. Yeah. Well, and we could talk about that crap. We could do a whole nother podcast on that one alone. Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But the, you know, the other thing I actually heard on your show I'm really, I'm leaving, I'm doing a lot of loom messages all over. I'm looming yep. my, you know, behind off. And then um, voice messaging on LinkedIn. Like I'm, yeah. I don't do just, and, and people are saying, oh my gosh, this is the first time I've ever heard of it. Yeah. Like I've, it's the first time I've ever been reached out with a voice message. So it's working really well. You have to be really, so what I find is, and this is about knowing oneself and what works, right? So you have to put the time in to make sure that any, any communication through any medium, I believe takes time to, to craft it. And you don't want to just do it off the, off the cuff, unless you have like a repeatable formula, like your, like your elevator pitch formula, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But 
there are some people who do not come across well in voicemail, whether it be through LinkedIn or now I, and I am one of those people. I tried the LinkedIn messages really? and, and my, and my, my, I had somebody call, I had somebody write back and say, Hey, you got a great radio voice, but you're creeping me out but Oh my because God. it, because it just isn't, it isn't as authentic for me, but I have people uh, I've worked with where they can nail it. They can knock it out of the park. And that's where I'm all about the the data. Like A, mm. B, test the crap out of everything. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. anyway, that, again, we're off on another tangent. Well, so, but it's, but it's differentiated, right? So like I have this little, uh, you know, client, she's like a mouse. She never does any, any marketing. And then she tried the LinkedIn voice message and she freaked out because no uh, packaging engineer in the automotive industry has ever even heard of a voice message. They're not even getting any messages, let alone voice messages <laughs> on LinkedIn. So it, it's so differentiated that, right. like, so, you know, anything in marketing that's different, it's good. It's but good. I until, do agree yeah, that it has to everybody with starts, yeah. everybody starts until it. everybody, but right now, not a lot of not people lot are of doing people loom are. or voicemail. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there was one thing you could tell sales, marketing or professional service people, one piece of advice you could give them that you believe would help them crush their targets, what would it be and why? Ooh, super niche strategically. So have you had other, like I didn't look through and find too many other marketing folks. Have you had a lot of marketing folks on? We've had, I mean, we've had a fair amount. I'd say probably if you go back through the three-year catalog, maybe 20, mm. 15, 20% maybe. Okay, but well, definitely no, not the not the not the largest percentage by far. Right, exactly. No. And so what I what I've seen in the market when I, you know, started my business is there's a lot of marketing gurus, but and and one, they don't even know how to niche and two, and I don't want to, you know, throw dirt on people and maybe there are some that are different, but they don't know how to, re- how to reach a niche through asking the market. What right. they do is they realize that you do need a niche, but what they do is they tell you what it should be based on sitting behind their computer, doing a couple of Google searches, doing a couple of SEO searches. And it's not, it, it's, it's wrong. It turns out to be wrong. And what the best thing to do is, and this is what I learned marketing the big brands is you have to ask the prospect, right. like the horse's mouth, like, would you pay for this problem? Is this the biggest problem? Would you pay me for this problem? What would need to happen for you to pay me for this problem? Right. Like, and then, and then stack it up with two, three different problems that you first, you know, hypothesize and then leave it open-ended for them to change, you know, change your mind about it and tell you what's really happening, especially right now during COVID things have shifted so much in so many industries. You have to, a lot of my students are are finding that they are pivoting based on the research that they're doing today. Right. And it's maybe different in six months, but you have to do it and, and you have to know how to do it because if you just go out and ask questions ad hoc, you don't know what to do with that afterwards, <laughs> right. right? It's like, okay, thank you. Yeah, and, you have to do it in right. a specific way. Yeah, so that's what I, I, you have to super niche, but you have to super niche strategically. And if, like, I would never ask a gardener or, you know, like um, somebody who's like a painter to do my architectural drawing, Right. So a super niche, a niche that you pick strategically is like the architectural drawing that an architect draws f- for a blueprint. Nice. So n- know where to go to for the right advice and not all marketers know how to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. And asking, honestly, asking the market and being in a, whether it's an individual or a team's mindset of actually taking in the feedback instead of using your own biases to get the data mm-hmm. to say which one to that's exactly. another skill set as well 
um, <laughs> which I've seen not get applied. Right yeah. Way. Oh no, I know. I have people pay me tens of thousands of dollars and not implement. Like one, they re resist going out to the market and getting the answer. And two, once we get the answer, they don't implement it. One, because they're so used to going back to their comfort zone of what they've been doing and yeah. saying in the market. And two, they're too scared to try it. Absolutely. So I, I've seen it too, man. Absolutely. All right, Charlie, if a listener's interested in talking more about these topics or getting in touch with you, where do you want us to send them? Repositioner.com slash gift is where you can, if any of this resounds for you and you think I can help you, you can book a call with me directly through that. Uh, Repositioner.com is my website. And then slash gift is where you can claim your free book, the gentle marketing book, all about you know, how to niche, how to position, how to message. And then you can book a call with me as well if you think I can help you. Awesome, Chal. I can't thank you enough for taking the time. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Yes, thank you, Chad. Thanks for having me and choosing me out of all the you know, <laughs> rivers of fans that you have. My goodness. <laughs> I don't know about rivers, but I definitely have to wade through some, some interesting pitches. Oh, wow. <laughs> all right, everybody. That does it for this episode. B2Brevexec.com. Share with friends, family, coworkers. You know the drill. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you hear. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.